Wonderful. Uh, here we had a good chat. We can uh, continue uh, after the service. Like I said, we've got tea and coffee, biscuits and cakes. So you're very welcome to stay behind for uh, a chat and some uh, fellowship. That'll be, that'll be really good. So this morning, um, as I mentioned in uh, E! News that's uh, sent out during the week, that uh, we're delighted, myself and Wendy, to um, have our daughter speaking this morning. Um, I do apologize to, to you and to her and to her husband, Hines, because I put her maiden name in. And uh, I mean, she's only been married five years. I mean, it takes a little while to get used to kind of this change of names. Sorry, sorry. So it's, it's not Amy Glover, it's Amy Prinsloo, which I do, I do know, and uh, I do know, and um, I'm aware. So, um, so whenever I say Amy Glover, you can translate into Amy Prinsloo, if that's okay, wonderful. Let's give Wen, uh, Wendy, Amy. <laughs> yeah, let's welcome... Our speaker this morning, and uh, our speaker Wendy Glover. Our yes. speaker. <laughs> anyway, so Amy, just tell Hello. these good folks um, not who you are because you might be confused about that. It's but uh, what you do? What do you do? What do, you do? <laughs> what do I do? Yes, my name is Amy Prinsley, um, and I work at a church called Trent Vineyard in Nottingham. Um, I'm the students and young adults pastor there. Um, so I'm going to be chatting to Isaac later about how I find the alpacas for there our student go, weekend away can. next year because that sounds really fun. So, Fantastic. Yeah, how long have you been doing that? Uh, I have been doing that for about seven years now. Wow. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you here this morning. It is. It's great to be here. And I'll uh, pray for Amy and. And uh, let her loose. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you, you call us to minister in different ways. And Lord, we do thank you that Amy is allowed, uh, able to be here this morning. We thank you for what you've laid on her heart. Thank you what's on your heart for us. Help us to receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Good morning, guys. Um, it really is a joy to be here. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I've been to Encounter Church once before, and it's so wonderful um, to be back with you guys. And uh, I am not sure what kind of stories my dad has told you about us. I don't know if he's shared any stories about me and my brother, but I just need to set the record straight just in case, um, because I think that it is very fair to say that when I was growing up, for the most part, I, I was pretty well behaved. I like to think I was a pretty good child. Um, I do remember the odd reprimand for slamming bedroom doors or winding up my older brother. Sorry, Dave. Um, but on the whole, I think I was pretty good. But I must admit there was one particular incident when I was about 17 years old that did do quite a lot of damage to my good child's reputation. So I had just passed my driving test. My parents very kindly insured me on my mum's car. And the only rule that they gave me was that for the first month, I couldn't take any passengers. I needed to get used to driving on my own before I could take any friends in the car. And so for a couple of weeks, like the good child that I am, uh, I stuck to the rule. But it didn't take long before I figured I was actually really good at driving. And surely, surely I could take my friends, you know, just to the odd Mackie's trip or give somebody a lift home. 
but I kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit. And one day, I had been out in the car with one of my friends for far too long that there was no way that my mum was not going to notice the amount of petrol that I had used in her car. So... I decided to cover my tracks. And on the way home, I pulled into Sainsbury's so that I could fill up the tank. But that's where the, that's where the plan went horribly wrong. Um, because I, start, you know, I went to park up so that I could get some cash to pay for the petrol. Because, of course, this was back in the days before every teenager had Apple Pay. So I needed to get some cash out. And I went to go and park in the only available parking space that I could find. And it just so happened to be in between a car and a trolley bay. And so something you guys need to know is that though I was obviously an exceptional driver so far at this point, I wasn't great at bay parking. And so in my absolute fear that I was going to end up hitting this other car, I ended up so close to the trolley bay that I scraped the entire side of my mum's car along it. I was absolutely busted. Now, it is safe to say that my mum was not thrilled about the £300 worth of damage that I did to her car, but to her credit, she didn't hold it against me. She continued to let me use her car after it was fixed, and she still actually trusts me to this day to drive her car, which is very kind. She lets me borrow it sometimes. But she had every right to take away my driving privileges, but instead she gave me a second chance. And this morning, I want us to think about what happens when we make mistakes or we mess up or we fail in some kind of way and how God, our Father, responds to us. Like a good parent, when we bring our failure to him, he doesn't hold things against us, but instead he shows us grace and he gives us an opportunity to overcome our failures and to live a new and transformed life. So, um, like Dad was saying earlier, following the theme that you guys have been looking at of 40 days with Jesus and some of the encounters that he had with his followers, we're going to focus on an interaction that Jesus had after his resurrection with one of his disciples, Peter, that shows us this kind of grace and transformation in action. And so I'd love it if we could turn together to John chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. And I'll read this out for us. It says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they had got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, sorry. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, it's a long passage, but here we find Peter and a bunch of the other disciples. And Jesus has just risen from the dead. They have seen him in the flesh. He is alive. And what do they do? They go fishing. The Messiah, who they've been waiting for, he's been risen from the dead, and they go fishing. Why are they not out telling everybody else about the good news? Well, there are some people who suggest that they're waiting on Jesus' instruction. They're biding their time, doing what they've always done, waiting for Jesus to come and tell them what to do next. But there is a pretty strong argument based on recent events that would suggest that Peter has lost his confidence and as a result, he's reverted back to what he's used to. See, Peter, he was no stranger to failure, and his most famous failure came just a few chapters before this passage we've just read. You know, Peter, he had been one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was even in Jesus' inner circle with James and John. Jesus had given Peter a new name. He renamed him from Simon and called him Peter the Rock because he intended to build his church on Peter's shoulders. Peter was the one who walked on water with Jesus. But after passionately protesting that he would never deny Jesus, even claiming that he would go to the death with Jesus, on the very night that he was arrested, Peter told three different people that he didn't even know him. And so when the cockerel crowed on the third denial, as Jesus had predicted, Peter, understandably, he wept bitterly. He was devastated. You know, Jesus had said to Peter that he would make him a fisher of men. But I think that in his guilt and shame, Peter has gone back to living as Simon the fisherman. He even went back to the very place that Jesus first called him, which was at the Sea of Galilee, here called the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus had given him a new name, a new calling, a new life. But in his guilt, he just 
couldn't live up to any of it. See, like Peter, all of us, all of us have experienced failure. Maybe we've betrayed a friend, or we've broken somebody's trust, or we've cheated, or we've given into an addiction or anger of some kind. Whatever failings we might be carrying around, Jesus shows Peter that his failure doesn't have to define him, and it doesn't have to hold him back from all that Jesus has for him. And what is amazing is that the very same is true for each and every one of us. And so, this morning, for the rest of our time, I want us to think about how does Jesus do this? How does he help Simon and us to overcome our failure? And so the first thing is that Jesus, he meets us in it. He helps us overcome failure and he meets us in it. So in verse 4, we see Jesus waiting for the disciples on the beach. They're on their way back after a pretty unsuccessful night fishing. And so Jesus, he tells them, cast the net on the other side. And as they do, it says they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now notice the first thing that Jesus does, he, he doesn't you know, question what they're doing. He doesn't reprimand them for running off to fish. Instead, he takes the time to help them. And in this instance, help comes in the form of breakfast. Now, I don't know what any of you guys are like, but I know that for some people, the best way to help is through food. And I don't think that I know anyone for whom this is more true than my husband, Heinz. Like the other week, we went, we went for a walk. It wasn't actually that long of a walk. And um, Heinz, he hadn't eaten in a couple of hours. Not a couple of days, a couple of hours. And so we're getting towards the end of our walk, and this very healthy 27-year-old man, he turns to me and he says, Amy, I'm hungry. I feel weak. I can't put one foot in front of the other. It was very melodramatic. But, um, but after nearly five years of marriage, I've just had to learn that sometimes, if Heinz isn't quite feeling like himself, the best thing that I can actually do to help him is to feed him. Some of us are just like that, aren't we? But um, we get a bit hungry sometimes. Um, obviously, it's a silly example, but, but this is actually what Jesus does for the disciples. You know, he meets them on the beach, and he gives them something to eat when they're tired and they're exhausted. Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, he comes to meet us where we're at. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm part of a, a vineyard church, and there's a guy called Carl Tuttle, who is an old vineyard worship leader. And he wrote a book called Reckless Mercy, and in it he talks about a time in which Jesus came to meet him in one of his lowest moments. See, in the 90s, Carl was a pastor, and he was internationally famous for songs that he had written. But then his marriage broke down, and he wasn't allowed to see his children. And as a result, he uh, resigned from the church amid struggles with alcohol and pornography. It was a devastating time in his life. And he said this about a particular moment where Jesus met him in that. He said, I was sitting alone in the dark in my studio apartment. No children, no family, no hope. Only darkness and loneliness remained. Everything that ever mattered to me had been stripped away. God, I cried out, everything is gone. And I don't know if I can make it. 
I could sense a gentle presence. It was as if Jesus was kneeling down at my chair in front of me and he placed his hand on my knee and said, but I'm here, I'm here. You know, Carl, he then goes on to talk about how significant that moment was for him uh, in helping him overcome his failure and his shame. And, you know, his situation, it didn't change in that moment. But, but what he did say is that he knew Jesus was with him. And that was all that mattered. That was all that he needed. You know, when we're trying to overcome our failures, whether that is in our work or in our relationships or in our addictions, whatever it is, the thing that we can hold on to is that we don't have to go through it alone. Jesus meets us where we're at and he walks through it with us. What I also find really cool about this story is that Jesus, he he doesn't leave Peter on his own, but neither do Peter's friends. Notice in verse 3 when Peter says, I'm going fishing, his friends respond and they say, well, we will go with you. We will go too. In the isolation of failure, Peter turns to those around him and they get alongside him. You know, maybe this morning you are feeling the weight of failure or mistakes that you've made or shame. And can I encourage you, you could not be in a better place because this is what the church is all about getting alongside one another and supporting each other through our struggles. And that might look like reaching out and just asking somebody, will you you pray with me? Or joining a small group community so that you can have people to walk alongside you through your struggles week in, week out. Whatever it needs to look like for you, how can you allow Jesus and your community and other people around you to meet you where you're at and help you to overcome the weight that you're carrying? So, secondly, as we look at how Jesus helps us to overcome failure, he restores us. So, after breakfast is finished, Jesus, he takes Peter aside for a little chat. But I don't know if you noticed, but I actually had never noticed this before. He doesn't actually call him Peter in this moment. See, Peter, we know he's reverted back to his old way of life. And so in meeting him where he's at, Jesus actually calls him Simon, his old name. But in his kindness, Jesus isn't prepared to leave him there. He takes this opportunity to restore him so that Peter can let go of his old life and live in that new identity as Peter the Rock. See, that is what Jesus does. He meets us in our brokenness, but he doesn't leave us there. He wants to help us to overcome our failings so that we can live a new and restored life in him. You know, looking back at Carl's story, it took a little bit of time, but eventually God brought him to a place where he could return to the church and even be reconciled with a number of people that he had hurt through his actions. You know, I know in my own life, meeting Jesus and experiencing his grace has helped me to overcome shame and guilt from mistakes that I've made whether that be in relationships or through bad habits or way that I've, ways that I've treated people. And what's amazing is that the longer I've walked with Jesus, 
the more and more he has restored my life. But the question is, how does this, how does this happen? How does he do that? How can we even experience this kind of restoration? Because maybe some of us this morning, we feel like our failure and the stuff that we're carrying is just too big. There's no way that Jesus can restore this. There's just no way. Maybe you feel like you failed Jesus or that you're a failure of a Christian. But the thing is, Jesus, he, he doesn't expect you to be perfect. And I'm thrilled for that because I know that I'm not. And in fact, you know, he knows that we're not. But that's why he died on the cross. So that the consequence of every single mistake and every single failure that we will make would be put onto him. That is how much he loves you. He wants you to live free of the weight of failure because he has already dealt with it. He's already dealt with it. You don't have to live under that weight anymore. That is how much he loves us. And so what he asks of Peter and what he asks of us in return is that we would love him. You know, looking back at our passage, that's what he's asking Simon. You know, he's saying, Simon, do you love me? And of course, Simon says, yes, yes, I do. Jesus knows that Simon loves him. But it's funny because by the third time of asking if he loves him, you can tell that Simon is getting a little bit frustrated because Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, well, you know everything. It's as if he's saying, well, if you know so much, surely you know that I love you. Why do you keep asking me? But remember, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? The same number of times that Jesus asks if he loves him. It's like with each declaration of, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus is writing off Peter's denial, and he is inviting Simon to follow him again, like he did the very first time that Simon was sat with Jesus on that very beach. You know, when Simon tells Jesus that he loves him, each time Jesus then responds to him, giving him an instruction to feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Simon tells Jesus he loves him, but it's his obedience and his commitment to following Jesus that that demonstrates just how much he loves Jesus. You know, I think loving Jesus looks like following him, not just with our words, but with our entire lives. And it's through choosing to follow Jesus that Peter then gets to step into the fullness of life that Jesus is calling him into. That's what the restoration looks like. It's when Peter chooses to accept that call of Jesus to follow him and step into the fullness of life that Jesus lays out for him. You know, I mentioned earlier that um, I've experienced Jesus' restoration in my own life. And that journey started when I had an encounter with him in my student halls as a first-year student. I, I, honestly, I was in an absolute mess. I had been out the night before, and I had made decisions that I deeply regretted. And to be honest, I was just feeling full of shame. I hadn't entered a church, I hadn't been in a church for months and months, and I honestly didn't really know how I possibly could 
But it was like I could hear Jesus' voice in my mind, sat on my uni bed, and it was like he was saying, Amy, you can keep living like this if that's what you want. I will always love you, but this isn't my best for you. My best for you is for you to find a church, find a community, so that you can pursue me again. And in his kindness and gentleness and grace, he invited me, like Peter, to choose to follow him again. And I have never regretted that for one single moment. You know, it's as Peter walks away from his old life of failure and denial and sin that he is able with Jesus by his side to step into the new life of love and obedience. And this is what we get to do too. You know, when we choose to love Jesus and, uh, and, and obedience to him more than our desires, more than our temptations, more than our habits, even more than ourselves, that is when we get to step into the fullness of life that he is calling us into. And as we do, we're not going to get it perfectly right. We're going to get things wrong. Even when we choose to live our lives for Jesus, we're going to keep making mistakes and failing time and time again because none of us are perfect, only he is. Even Peter went on to fail again. We know that he did because it talks about it in Acts when the Apostle Paul has to challenge him on something. But in 2 Corinthians 12, it says that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness So we can be confident that as we move forward, even though we're going to stumble, even though we're going to get it wrong, Jesus is still with us. And what's amazing is that he wants to work through our flaws and our failings. And so that's the final thing that I want us to think about this morning is that Jesus, through our failure, through our faults, through our brokenness, he wants to use us. And the most amazing thing that I think about this entire encounter that Peter has with Jesus, is that, you know, Jesus, he restores him, he recommissions him. But what's fantastic is that it's like the calling that Jesus put on Peter's life, it never changed. The calling that he put on his life in their first meeting, even after Peter's denial, never changed. Jesus still asks him to feed his lambs and tend his sheep. You know, Peter probably thought that he'd stuffed it up, that that was it, that Jesus was never going to want to use him for those things. But that wasn't the case. His failure didn't change God's plans for his life. See, after Jesus restored Peter and he recommissioned him as the rock in which he was going to build his church, that is actually exactly what Peter went on to do. You know, only a few weeks later, Peter was leading the other disciples and he was preaching boldly about Jesus' resurrection, the very opposite, in fact, of denying him. You know, he sees 3,000 people get saved in one moment and added to the church. And the list of everything that Peter went on to do for the church could go on and on and on and on. His failure hadn't ruled him out from being used by God. And the same is true for us. No matter what we've done, no matter how we've failed, no matter how we've messed up, whatever mistakes we've made, when we give him our heart and we choose to follow his ways instead of our own, we can trust that his plans for us, they haven't changed. 
He still wants to use you no matter what it is that you've done. So I just want to end by telling you the story of John Newton. You might know the name John Newton. He's the guy who wrote uh, that very famous song, Amazing Grace. And uh, Newton, he was, a, he was a slave trader originally. He traveled through the African coast to capture and sell people for profit, which is just horrific. And on one of his journeys, Newton and his crew, they hit a huge storm, one that was so severe they very nearly drowned. And in his desperation, John Newton, he called out to God for mercy, and in the end, he escaped with his life. And so it was after this that John Newton, he came to faith, and it it took him a little bit of time to to kind of change his ways. Um, But as he continued to walk with God, he became transformed into a totally different man. He ended up becoming an advocate for the abolition of slavery and was a significant influence on William Wilberforce, who we might know was a significant politician who finally managed to get the abolition of the slave trade through the British government at that time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. John Newton, he knew He knew his failure. He knew his mistakes. He knew what he'd done was wrong. He was so aware of those terrible things. But it was through the amazing grace of Jesus that he was restored. And as a result, he was then able to turn that failure around and help others to find their freedom too. You know, when we allow Jesus to meet us in our failings and accept his forgiveness, we can boldly step into the life that he is calling us into. And as we do, we get to share that love and grace that we have received from him with other people. He uses us through it. And so I wonder this morning what this might look like for you. You know, maybe like John Newton, you are really aware of your failure. Maybe you're really aware of the ways that you've messed up and the mistakes that you've made. Maybe there's something specific that is weighing on your shoulders right now. And Jesus is inviting you, like he did with Peter, to accept his forgiveness so that you can let go of the old life and step into the new life that he is calling you into. A life of love and obedience to Jesus. You know, for some of us this morning... This is just a great opportunity just to let Jesus meet you where you're at, wherever that might be. Maybe you don't yet know Jesus, or like Peter, you've kind of retreated away from him, but you want to experience his love and restoration in your own life, and I believe that he wants you to experience that today. You know, like the story of John Newton shows us, none of us, none of us are too far away from God that he is unable to restore us. None of us are too far away. No matter what we've done, he loves every single person in this room. And if we're up for following him, he has amazing plans for our lives. We don't have to live under the weight of failure. Instead, Jesus, he helps us to overcome it. And so I just want to invite you now, why don't you stand if you're able And I'm going to invite Dad just to join me.
And it'd just be great just if we could just make a bit of space just to invite Jesus and just allow him to come into our hearts so that he can do that. So that he can show us his forgiveness. He can lift some of that weight off of our shoulders and help us to experience the fullness of what it is that he has for us. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? You don't have to close your eyes to pray, but it helps uh, focus a little bit and um, feel that some of the points that were brought out today uh, will be hitting home as a great encouragement, I believe, or God wants them to be a great encouragement and truth to us. I remember Carl Tuttle and uh, that Amy was talking about and late 80s he was probably the most prominent worship leader in the world at the time so when I heard about what he'd been through I nearly wept just because he blessed so many people but maybe this morning your prayer is Lord will you meet with me in this will you meet with me in this a specific thing it may be that you're feeling that uh, whatever age you are, that you might never really fully follow uh, God's purpose again because of something that's happened and you just feel as if that will never fully happen. But the truth is that, that it can. That it can. God can make all things new and Peter was used miraculously after denying Jesus so powerfully. Maybe this morning that when you come to church, you still, even when you worship, carry this, this weight of guilt and shame. And, uh, and even though you want to be here, you want to do things right, you know God loves you, but you still carry this around you. But in Isaiah 53, it says it took, he took our shame and he lifts it off us uh, when we give it to him. And for some this morning, that the challenge is simply, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Do you love me enough to take those steps that I've asked you to take in order to follow me? So I'm not going to invite people out to the front, but if you would, you know, saying, God, really want to meet with you this morning. You're speaking to me. You're ministering to me. I know that you want to do something. This is significant. Why don't you just hold your uh, two hands just out in front of a sign of receiving? And saying, Lord, come and meet with me this morning. This is significant for me. This is important for me. I know that you're speaking to me. And, uh, you know, even though you've been following Jesus many years and doing quite well, there's still new things that he can do in lifting things off and giving that freedom Mm. to walk confidently and assuredly into his great purposes for us. Lord, I do thank you that you're present with us this morning. We thank you you're present with us in your truth. We thank you that you're present with us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that our greatest failing you took on the cross, our greatest failings you took on the cross. And Lord, we pray for release in people's hearts and minds this morning, that ability to flourish again, to begin anew, to get back to where we were, to move forward. 
for things to be released, the weights to be released off our hearts and our shoulders, that when we come before you, we come with a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of excitement that you've got plans for us. Holy Spirit, move within each one of our hearts. Lord, those that are feeling shame, that would lift off significantly a new spring, Lord, in their steps. New excitement, new sense of destination and of purpose. And Lord, we pray that you would use us, Lord. We pray that you'd use us. Like Peter, that we would make that difference in other people's lives. So Lord, we do thank you that we, we do this together in your name. As Peter was with his friends, we do this together, Lord. Meet with us together, Lord God. And for those who are really seeking fellowship, togetherness, Lord, that opportunity to feel part of your body, being part of a church community. Lord, there's so many wonderful things that you want to do within our lives. And we commit each other to you. We bless you for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Well, thank you to Amy. Thank you for that. Again, hand over to Isaac. They're going, the band's going to lead us in one final song this morning.